Well, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beach show. Uh, man, really excited about tonight's show. A lot of a lot of stuff going on. You know, it looks like George is going to start practice later this week. I think we're all excited about that. We learned earlier today there's going to be a media availability on Monday. So we're going to have, or excuse me, on Friday. So we're going to have a chance to talk to Kirby Smart about everything going on. And, you know, goodness knows we're all looking forward to that. Uh, exciting times for Georgia football. What we think is the beginning uh, of, uh, of a really special season. Look, this is a team that can win a national championship this year. And, and don't let anybody talk you down. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Uh, don't let anybody throw the 1980 discouragement at you. What matters is now Georgia is an annual national championship contender. And while some people want to say, well, here goes Georgia, you know, uh, you know, every year is supposed to be the year. Don't you think all these other schools wish they could say that they had a chance to win a national championship every year, that they were true contenders every year? It, it just doesn't happen. Um, you just don't see it. And the reason that George is here is because of the way that Kirby Smart has positioned the program. Tonight, I want to start out Jeff Centel. 37 minutes ago, don't know if you saw the article on Dog Nation, breaking news, Bulldogs ring up a wide receiver commitment from Dylan Bell. And while I look at Bell's ratings, the nation's number 74 wide receiver, number 563 overall recruit, okay, while that doesn't necessarily blow my mind, and by the way, I'm not married to uh, rankings of players. I think Kirby Smart and his staff are better at evaluating talent uh, than anybody else out there. Be certainly better than the people that, uh, that that write for recruiting services. If they were good at it, they would be getting paid, or, or excuse me, if they were as good at it as Kirby Smart, then they would be uh, on staff making hundreds of thousands of dollars. But this is a six foot one, 215 pound wide receiver from the Kincaid School in Texas. Uh, he committed to Georgia via a live stream from an Instagram account. And so now, uh, to me, the, the big news here is that this is a Texas recruit, right? This happens on the heels of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. And we all wondered the same thing, right? We all wondered, man, if Texas and Oklahoma join the league, how much of a dent could this put into Georgia football recruiting? And, and, I, and I talked to Centel about it. He's like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, you know? And, and obviously, this commitment, to me, Shows right out of the gate that, you know, Georgia's not going to quit recruiting the state. Players are still going to want to come to Georgia. Uh, this particular player had made a visit and got along really well with the Donnie Mitchell, an incoming freshman receiver that, you know, I think a Donnie Mitchell could be an X factor. Uh, he's a guy who has quick twitch, who is really fast on the outside. I wasn't as impressed with his G-Day game as others because he was targeted like 13 times. I think he made seven catches. That's not an ideal target to catch ratio. But the reason he was targeted so much is I, I think JT Daniels sees this as a viable option who can bring that burst to the X, um, provided that he stays over there. You know, I know everybody's excited about Eric Gilbert, uh, as, as they should be. He was a five-star recruit out of Marietta as a tight end. As a receiver, I don't want to say the jury's out because I, I know Kirby has said that's where he's going to start out lining up uh, in the fall. That's where he wants to be. And it's where Georgia wants him to be. Uh, but the reality is we'll see how he's used. You know, you, you know, he could be an X in title only. Doesn't mean he's going to be running those downfield routes 
like we saw from George Pickens. Oh, I think he'll do some, but I think he'll do a lot of his damage uh, underneath. I mean, this is a big physical guy. But uh, getting back to Donnie Mitchell, you know, here's a quick twitch guy that can spread the defense. And that's kind of what you want at that X. Uh, really, it's what you want at all your receiver positions. You want to have, you know, guys that can fly, but the X in particular. Uh, so I keep an eye on Donnie, but uh, good to know that Donnie Mitchell was involved in Bell's recruitment. Thought that was interesting. So some breaking news right off the top. If you haven't already read Jeff Centel's story on Dog Nation, you need to check that out. It's the lead story. Breaking Bulldogs ring up a wide receiver commitment from Dylan Bell. Jeff with the uh, ring and the bell. I see what you did there, Jeff. So, you know, I started my day out today uh, working a story uh, on the stock report. And, and I like to do the stock report. Because it, as Kirby has said and other coaches say, you're either going up or you're going down, right? And this has been this has been one heck of an offseason. I, I said there's been a lot of looting going on, right? It, it's almost as if, you know, while we're all, you know, rallying back or trying to rally back from a challenging 2020. And by the way, it, we're not out of the woods yet. And, and I'm not going to get up on a soapbox or a, a pedestal and do, do a whole lot of preaching. But you know, the numbers are the numbers, uh, you know, different sorts of things are happening in our community. Again, as far as the masks, be aware, be safe, uh, in, 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 you know, uh, educate yourself on your process, do what's best for you. I want to say that first and foremost, um, you know, ed educate yourself, education on all this. Uh, I know everyone has loved ones. So I, I don't want to just, you know, that that's not just a token thing. You don't just throw that in. Oh, by the way, we're, we, we're still dealing with a global pandemic. That's something with great gravity. Um, so it, it's important that, you know, when I go off on that tangent, that, that I make sure you all realize, you know, just how serious and how respectful I am of, of what that is and how we're dealing with it. That is a, a world issue. That is that's a real world problem. Um, but, uh, you know, dialing it back, uh, you know, while that's going on, you know, that distraction, a lot of people traveling and, you know, we're kind of all over the map. College football, it's it's just like they, they just keep throwing fastballs. It just, you know, it's the part of me just wants to say, let's just stop. Can we just just stop and, and take a breath and let's see where we're at. Let's recenter. Let's get some perspective on what we're doing and all the changes that we're making, because there's going to be unintended consequences if these things aren't thought out clearly. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it started and, and now listen, the paying players and the NIL, listen, that's been a long time in the making. And yet, and still it came down to the 11th hour for some states, uh, Georgia, one of the six states that had legislation in place by July 1st, you know, it shouldn't have taken that long. The NCAA dragged their feet on it. The presidents, the chancellors, the board of governors, you know, whatever committee, whatever group of leadership you want to blame, blame them because this was coming. And uh, so NIL, uh, name, image and likeness, uh, we knew it was coming. It's here. It's not as big a deal as a lot of people thought it was going to be. I think that's my knee jerk reaction out of the gate is it isn't having the you know, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. The locker rooms turned upside down. Look, you can watch our show with Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh on Sunday nights, and we've got it posted now, uh, KM Squared, and we've just got two football players talking about life, having some fun. Uh, nobody's feelings are hurt here. 
you know, Kenny and Kendall are two guys that uh, are very good in front of a camera. They're going to have opportunities, endorsement deals down the line. They're both superstar players. Uh, I've said it before. I'm not going to hide it. I think they're the two best running backs on the team. Don't care who starts. Um, you know, there's there's certain, you know, to me, seniority in place. There's reasons that Zamir and, and Cook came back. I think you're obligated to start them if things are close, and I think they are. Uh, but I think time will bear out that Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh are the two best backs on the team. Uh, but getting back to the point, uh, you know, these are guys that want to get better in front of the camp, that want an opportunity. And Dog Nation, we, we said, okay, you know, right, we'll, we'll do it. Um, and so it, it hasn't been the end of the world. You know, you, nobody's stopping the presses here. It's just, hey, everybody's pretty happy and excited to get to know Kenny and Kendall, and we're having some fun with it. I, I do think that that the NIL has become more of a recruiting inducement than it was supposed to be. It was specifically not supposed to be used to recruit. And nobody is directly recruiting with it. Nobody is saying, hey, if you come here, we're going to have a deal set up for you to make 500000 Nobody's coming right out and saying that. But when Nick Saban conveniently leaks out before he makes his appearance on stage in Birmingham, he conveniently does a radio interview that morning, very convenient, where he conveniently leaks out that his quarterback might have up to a million dollars in endorsements, just so that the media will predictably ask him about it in front of the big room. And then Nick goes, oh, yeah, that. Well, you know, uh, listen, Nick Saban is the smartest guy in the room. Nick Saban is the master. Look, he's 23-0 and 0 against former assistant coaches. There's a reason why he's got, what, six national title ranks? It's crazy. It's because he's smart. It's because he's good. It's because he's cunning. It's because he's ruthless. It's because he never stops competing. And as I've said many times to Georgia people, it's because Alabama and Nick Saban are all in. And if you want to beat them, whether you're Georgia, whether you're LSU, whether you're Auburn, you better be all in. You ain't going to back into it. Now, that said, this year, Alabama lost six first-round draft picks. The quarterback, two incredible receivers, the best running back in the country, in my opinion, in Najee Harris, a starting left tackle. Uh, they also lost the Remington Award winner uh, at center. I mean, they lost a lot, and they lost Steve Sarkeesian. So they're going to have a new offense, Bill O'Brien. They're going to have a new style quarterback. The offensive line is going to block. It's going to be a lot of different. Now, can Alabama win another national title? Of course they can. There's a lot of talent. There's a great coaching staff, and the players are bought in. But Georgia has the upper hand because it is year two of the Todd Munkin offense. It is year two for JT Daniels, albeit he only had four starts. And Georgia still has one of the best defensive fronts in college football. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. But getting back to this college football offseason of looting, right? So NIL gets passed. You're okay. Yeah, we knew that was the one-time transfer. One-time transfer gets passed. And what we've seen as a net result of that is an average of, I think, in 2019-2020, when the waiver system was still in place, you averaged about 13 transfers per FBS team. This year, that's gone up to 19 transfers per FBS team. Georgia's had 17 in the last two years. So they're beating the curve. They're beating the curve. Um, another interesting facet out of these transfers, when you transfer out of an FBS school, you only have a 46% chance of landing 
at another FBS school. That's the number so far. Of the 17 players that transferred from Georgia, all 17 ended up at FBS schools. So the Georgia guys fared well. That works for them. Meanwhile, Georgia has turned around and Kirby has done a better job with the transfers than any coach in the country. Georgia has done a better job with this new rule than any program in the country. The last four transfers for Georgia, you know who they are? JT Daniels, Tyke Smith, your starting star, Eric Gilbert, your starting X, Darian Kendrick, starting cornerback. Not too shabby. Show me another program that is of this caliber in the top 10, top five, heck, top 20 that's recruited four starters of that ilk. That bodes well. Because here's what it tells you. It tells you when the rules change and when things get fluid that you have a coach at Georgia that can adapt to these rules. You have a coach at Georgia who has the resources necessary, who has the uh, who has built the reputation for putting players in the NFL, developing players. Because if these players didn't think that they could launch to the NFL from Georgia, they wouldn't be here. So that tells you that Kirby has equity. Do you realize this is pretty amazing? This is only Kirby Smart's sixth year. He's going into his sixth year as head coach at Georgia. And while that may not seem long to you and me, he's the third longest tenured head coach in the SEC. I heard a stat in Birmingham. Uh, gosh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago. It seems like yesterday. I didn't think it could be right. They said, you know, we're going to have eight coaches, eight coaches that are appearing at SEC Media Days that weren't here the last time we did that. Well, obviously, last year was COVID and we didn't have an SEC Media Day in Birmingham. Uh, so it's been two years. <clears throat> You're telling me that in the last two years, eight of the 14 SEC head coaching positions have changed. <clears throat> eight out of 14 in two years. Is that not remarkable? So Georgia's positioned well. We've talked about Kirby's age. He's only 45 years old. Now we've talked about his recruiting prowess. So this is uh, this is some pretty good stuff here. I mean, <clears throat> if you're Georgia, you've got to be excited about that. So we talk about the NIL, which, by the way, Georgia is well positioned to take advantage of. Why? Because Atlanta is the number seven metropolitan market in the country. It's the seventh largest. And Georgia, you could call it, a, a, some people commute, believe it or not, from Athens to Atlanta or suburban Atlanta or perimeter Atlanta. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a part of the metropolitan. It's a part of the extended metropolitan community. Well, the relevance to having a large population base is that there's a lot of businesses. And because there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of revenue. And when there's a lot of revenue and a lot of businesses, that adds up to a lot of endorsement opportunities. And Georgia is a, is a school that does a great job recruiting in state. And what local business doesn't want to support a kid that played in their community was the sponsorship of some sort? This is their chance to legally pay the player to stay in state. Actually, I should rephrase that. It's their chance to legally play the player after he has already decided to stay in state, right? There's a difference there. Uh, but I think that bodes really well for Georgia. So the two things that I've talked about, the two changes, the NIL and the one-time transfer, 
We've established that Kirby Smart is the portal master. Uh, a remarkable job with the guys that he's gotten. And two, how the NIL could benefit Georgia. Now, there's some big deals going on. They're just not talking about it. I mean, they're just not advertising it. I mean, do you really care how much money JT Daniels is making an endorsement? Is that really? Now, when we find out, we'll report it. But my point is, that's not why people follow college football. There's going to be plenty of benefits for guys like JT Daniels, uh, for guys like Jordan Davis. Uh, you know, and, and, and as I've said, you can see Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton here on Dog Nation. They're having an opportunity to do some things. And, and I think that's pretty cool. So those are two things that have happened. Then we get into the extended playoff, right? The expanded playoff and what a dog and pony show that was. And I kind of felt manipulated, right? I kind of felt dirty. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got me all excited about this 12-team playoff, which by the way, I would have never thought that I would have bought in. But I'm bought in. I'm bought in because the regular season still matters. And the regular season still matters because four teams get a bye. And that is invaluable. Not having to play that extra game is a game changer. It's invaluable. I'll give you an example. Application 2017. Georgia wins the SEC championship game over Auburn. Alabama doesn't even play in it. They play one less game. And yet and still they get in the playoffs. They get to beat a lousy Clemson team, probably Dabble's weakest team in the last six or seven years down in New Orleans, and, and then they're sitting there waiting on Georgia. Georgia, who gets shipped across the country to play the best Oklahoma team that they have had, maybe ever. We had Barry Trammell on this show a couple weeks ago, and he told you that that was Oklahoma's best team. Georgia's got to go double overtime. They come in to you know, play Alabama, and their tongue's hanging out of their mouth. They had to play an SEC title game, and they had to play across. Meanwhile, Alabama's just sitting there like, well, we got to play one less game. We got to play a lousy team and didn't really have to sell it out in the second half. Well, if you apply the 12 team playoff to the 2017 season, Alabama would have had to play a first round game. They would have had to play host to that undefeated Central Florida team. And before you snicker, that undefeated Central Florida team beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. The same Auburn that beat Alabama by double digits. The same Auburn that beat Georgia when they were number one of the regular season. So uh, that's a big game changer. So I look at it and I go, well, that's good. That's good. So now the way they're, they're explaining this to us, the four highest ranked conference champions get buys. I love it. Take the college football playoff committee out of the equation. I feel stronger than ever about that. And I'll explain that to you in a moment too. So you take them out of the equation and then you go five through 12, six through 11, seven and 10, eight and nine. And the, the bonus and the benefit is you do it on the higher seated teams campus. This is exciting. Playoff games on campus. Yes, yes, yes. Sign me up. I'm ready for it. We love it. Well, not so fast. Not so fast, they say. We're going to play We're gonna play this out. We're going to trot it out to the fans. We're going to get you excited. Then we're going to have a committee meeting, and we're going to tell you what the committee, oh, they liked it, and now we're going to put it in front of another, oh, they like it too, and okay, we're all right. Okay, no, now you got to wait two years. Wait, wait, what? Wait a minute, what? You went through all those gyrations. All these meetings, it got us all excited. And he said, well, but it can't happen until at least 2023, you know, because this contract runs, you know, for till 2025 or whatever, 2026, whatever it is. So you're like, well, now, wait a minute. You got me all excited. I spent the whole month of June 
playing this out in my mind, who could be the teams? What could be the matchups? Boy, Florida would have played at Michigan one year. Wouldn't that have been fun? See the Gators playing in like 12 degree weather and snow, uh, just something unique, you know, but the point is they were so, they were all, they were transparent. I said, Oh, this is, you know, even though it's going to be another two years, at least how cool is it that they put this out there for all of us to see. And we got to see the whole process play out. We got to hear everybody give an opinion on it. Everybody weighed in. Now contrast that to this Oklahoma, Texas backdoor deal. I mean, can you believe this? You're saying, what do you mean? What do you, can, of course, I can believe it that Oklahoma and Texas would join the SEC, Mike. They're two great teams. It makes the SEC better. Everybody in the SEC makes more money. Uh, right now, the SEC gets about $45 million per school uh, in, in shared television revenue. We're saying that now it's going to be 60 Right now, Oklahoma and Texas and the Big 12 schools get about $38 million. They're jumping for 60. So why wouldn't they want 22 million? Why wouldn't SEC schools want 50? Okay, no, no, I'm with you. Yes, from that standpoint, financially, it makes sense. It does. Now I'm not, you know, I've talked and, and you know, cried my tears about tradition. All that. Okay, that's not good. But here, this is what I find appalling, disappointing, disturbing even. This was a backdoor deal. There was zero transparency. They did this behind the back of these other presidents and chancellors and football coaches. And they've left the Big 12 in shambles, in ruins. And they did it without any transparency. So on the one hand, we talk about the playoff, how they trotted out in front of us. This, it's like we wake up one day and we, hey, hey, did you hear the rumor? Oh, really? Yeah, come Monday, it ain't a rumor anymore. We're asking our way out. By Thursday, they filed a formal, or Wednesday or Thursday, they filed a formal request to join. The SEC votes on it. They vote them in. You know, Texas and Oklahoma officially accept. Within a week of the time that we first heard about this, it's all over. It's done. That fast. Before anybody can react. Before anybody can do anything. Is that not collusion? Is that is that not just stink? Of sneakiness, sneaky, or sneaky. So the next time that I talk about the college football playoff committee, now, now granted, the Oklahoma AD was on there, by the way, and, and, and Texas people they weren't. But but my point is this: the people that pulled off this sneaky backdoor deal are chancellors and presidents and athletic directors. And when I challenged the college football playoff committee, what I was met with was, these are men of integrity, holier than thou. How dare you challenge presidents and ADs? They're able to put their schools aside and do what's best for all of college football. How dare you challenge these men and these ivory towers? That's what I was met with. You're crazy. That's not possible. Do you really think that they would do what's in their own best interest and not what's best for college football? Do you think that? Do you think that now? Now that you see how Texas and Oklahoma operated, do you think the SEC knew it was coming and didn't tell anybody? Do you still feel secure that these high-profile presidents, chancellors, administrators, academians, are they so perfect that they won't be self-serving because I see evidence to the contrary here. 
That's what I see. And I say, yep, I told you. I told you. They're human beings. They're self-serving. They do what's in their own best interest. And if you don't think so, you're crazy or you're naive. This is a lesson. This is is a wake-up call. College football is a bloodthirsty money game. Uh, You're thinking, you know, some of you are going, no kidding. Like you didn't know that all along? Okay, maybe in the back of my mind I did. And I just wanted to pretend. Maybe I just wanted to say, you know what? It's still all about the marching. And by the way, by the way, write to your ADs. If you want to hear the marching bands instead of the piped in music, write to your athletic director. Write them a note. I can tell you that at Georgia, Josh Brooks reads his mail. There was a case, um, and Josh is probably going, thanks, Mike, as if I don't have enough to do. But the reality of it is Josh Brooks is a guy that does want to know. He is a responsive AD, a responsible AD, and a responsive AD, and he wants what's best for his school. And uh, and I respect him. I, you know, I, Listen, I had a lot of respect for, for Mr. McGarrity, Mr. Greg McGarrity. I thought he did a great job. I thought George's reputation, I, I thought he was a little too giving and a little too nice uh, because Greg is a gentleman. He is a gentleman. He's a gentleman. You know, Brooks is too, but he's young and he's hungry and he's got the same mindset Kirby does. And I don't think Josh Brooks, I don't think just because he's new that he's going to go in there and and walk the company line because he's a new guy. You know, I don't think he's going to try to fit in and just go with the flow. I think you've got somebody that's going to fight for Georgia. And I think that's important because my big fear now is this. This is my fear. Texas has the largest athletic budget in the country 223 million 223 million AM is second i think they're 211 these are pre-covid numbers this is 2019 the power and the influence oklahoma is seventh in the nation by the way they're seventh georgia was i believe fourth or fifth um the power and the influence that that texas has is staggering staggering uh, this school thinks big, right? Everything's bigger in Texas. The budget is bigger, right? So are the persuasions. So is the persuasions. The, Texas and Oklahoma have bullied the Big 12, the Southwest Conference. These are two schools that have gotten their way for so long. Is it going to happen in the SEC? Are they going to get their way? Are they going to throw their weight around? Are they going to collude? Are they going to work together behind the scenes? Don't think they won't. They did on this deal. You know they will. You know they will. And my fear is this, that they're going to manipulate the Southeastern Conference. And we're going to wake up one morning and we're going to look at a realignment of divisions in Alabama and Auburn will be in the east with Florida and Georgia and open the door for Texas and Oklahoma to rule the West. That's my fear. People say, oh, that, that can't happen. That can't. I, oh, oh, yes, it can. If you'd have told me this was going to happen in this manner, not that it was going to happen, but it was going to happen within a week of first hearing about it, I said, there's no way. Think about this. They're telling us we've got to wait two years for a playoff. We had to go through three weeks of meetings, and you know this panel had been working on it for a year together, and and oh, it can't happen for two. And oh, now we got to wait all summer and we got to hear what everybody thinks about it before we do it. But this deal here, oh no, this can be done 
with a Monday request, and by Friday they're in. Yeah, I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that at all. That bothers me. I I, I don't like how quickly that played out. It, it, it's it's too fast. Like I said, un, unintended consequences. I look around the landscape of college football and think about where we were a year. Now, a year ago, we were just praying we would have a season. And I say thank goodness that we did. And the reason I say that is because these young men worked so hard. And when they signed their scholarship papers, those schools made a commitment to them to give them an opportunity to play football. Just like the guys in the marching band and the gals in the marching band that sign up for it, they've got, they worked so hard for it. And the schools commit, just like the guy that wants to go in and major in science, the school says, we're going to give you a science. They don't just cancel the class. Right. I mean, it's an opportunity when players go to school, when student athletes choose schools, it's because of the opportunity there. There's a commitment there. There was a commitment for these schools to play football. That's why the big, big 10 and PAC 12, uh, you know, trying to cancel football was, was so disappointing to me, irresponsible even. Um, But, but now, Fast forward a year, man, you know, I'm excited about football. It's coming up September 4th, the Clemson game. But I'm going to tell you, I, I've got some concerns here. And I did a stock report and I talked about these things and I said, whose stock is up? I do think the players are better off. They have more leverage than ever. I do think that the SEC, even though I do think there'll be unintended consequences, the SEC stock is up. Here's the thing. If Texas and Oklahoma come knocking on the door, we're getting out of the Big 12. We want to join you. You're the SEC. You go, well, maybe we don't want them. But if we don't take them, they're going to go somewhere else. If they go somewhere else, they're going to make some other conference better. So if they're going to go anywhere, they might as well be here. One of Josh Brooks's favorite sayings is that change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Little did we realize that, that we could apply that to Oklahoma. And Texas joining the SEC. Stock even? I think the college football playoffs, the stock's even. Even though I've heard Gene Smith, the Ohio State AD, say, you know, hey, I think we need to hit the pause on this. Other conferences now are going to try to scramble and catch up. Now that the SEC's gone to 16 teams, they have to have an answer. It's just negotiating, right? It's trying to make your conference viable and valuable. And how do you build value, right? Now, it looks like we're going to have these 16-team leagues. At least I hope it's 16. I hope it's not one big super conference. I hope we have four strong conferences of 16 teams. Uh, Stock down, the NCAA. You know, the Board of Governors uh, last Friday said that they were going to move in the direction of overhauling how college sports is governed. Uh, Here's a quote from a Mid-American Conference commissioner and the Division I council member. John Steinbrecher. It's evident we're going to take a hard look at the structure and the governance of the association and have a discussion about values and a discussion of goals, he said. We've talked about the modernization of the rules. Well, perhaps it's time to modernize the association. So here we go. What does that mean? Are we talking decentralization here? Are we talking about the NCAA essentially punning the concept of leveling the playing field and leaving it up to each individual conference. I think that's what we're talking about. So that's a loss of power. And obviously the big 12, you know, Texas and Oklahoma were only two of the 10 schools in the big 12. That's right. They were the big 12 and only had 10 schools most recently. And yet their value to the big 12 made up more than 50% of the big 12. So now what's left? I don't know what's left. Who's who's left in the big 12. Baylor. TCU, Oklahoma State, 
Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State. Anybody getting excited yet? Anybody wanting these teams? Yeah, you have to get a better over here. Get a I I see Kansas as a Big Ten school, not just because of the geographical location, but it's a really good academic school, and the Big Ten is kind of, you know, academic school. Please, and what is AAU member or AA something member? Um, and they're one of those. A lot of people have said Iowa State. I, it'll be interesting. If I'm the Big Ten, I think I reach for Syracuse. They fit my profile. And I like all those TV sets in the state of New York. But Syracuse and Kansas, both very strong basketball traditions and have had their moments in football. Those would be the schools I would go after. We'll see what Syracuse is going to do. With the, we'll see what happens with the ACC. I think they'll stay intact and add a couple of schools myself. Uh, but, you know, are some of these teams going to go to the Pac-12? A lot to think about. Um, a lot to think about. Man, 2021, you know, we were feeling pretty good. And, man, things have changed. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like you don't know, you know, what you can count on anymore. Uh, I'll tell you what I know I can count on. Ingles. You know, when I think back during the pandemic, you know, the challenges that I had, you know, just – getting out to the grocery store, right? Wondering and wondering when I got there, if the, if the product would be there, Ingles delivered, you know, the, the people that were on the front line, you know, obviously doctors, nurses, EMTs, you know, you give all those people all the credit in the world, but the people in the service industry, the people that gave us our supplies, what do we do if they're not there? How do we struggle? And, and so we play this ad for Ingles every show. I think most of you know the words, like most of you appreciate it. Most of you enjoy it. I do. I want to take a moment right now for us to play this song uh, to respect and honor and appreciate Ingalls. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. We stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand Community strong It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome, man. Good stuff there. You know, um, I wrote another story today. My second uh, story of the day. And I, and I got the idea from, from Kenny McIntosh. I thought, Kenny, um, we, we had a question uh, that I asked the players. I said, you're in a one-on-one -on -one hitting drill. Who's the one teammate that you don't want to go up? And I'm not going to tell you Kendall Milton's answers. You're going to have to go watch the show to see that. You're going to watch the KM Squared show. But Kenny McIntosh said Devontae Wyatt. He said he was like a pit bull. He said he had a big, big neck. And he was fast and big. And when he hits you, you know, you'd feel it. And I thought about this. And, and look, Jordan Davis is, I think, the unquestioned dude on defense. I think everybody's got a lot of love and respect for Jordan. But people don't talk about Devontae Wyatt nearly enough. They don't talk about him nearly. Do you know the last two years Devontae Wyatt has led Georgia's interior defensive lineman and stops? And a couple of years ago, he was second in QB pressures only to Aziz. He had like 26. This guy's a beast. This guy's, I think, I think this guy could be a future NFL starter. I mean, 6'3, 315, and he can run sub five, 
sub five second 40. This guy's the real deal. And, and I said, you know, this, you know, there's a lot of candidates for most underrated. The SEC kind of made it easy on us because they only gave one position player preseason all SEC, which is just unbelievable. Uh, one position player, Jake Camarda is a punter, not a position player, but Jake Camarda and Jordan Davis were the only preseason first team all SEC guys on Georgia. That just blows my mind. Okay. Blows my mind. So there's a lot of underrated guys, but if I'm sitting here right now and I'm thinking about doing a show in December and us reflecting back and going, well, they really missed on that guy and they really missed on that guy and they really missed on that guy. Devontae Wyatt's number one on my list. I, I just think he's an unsung hero. Now, he may not have the numbers, but I think in terms of value, um, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, look, you got three guys right there. Wow. I think you got three of the top, maybe 15, three of the top 15 defensive tackles all on one team right there. Unbelievable. Devontae Wyatt is number one on my most underrated. Number two on my most underrated list. And, and I've had to come around on this. I mean, admittedly, I've had to come around on this a little bit because I was a little sour that at the beginning of last year that Jermaine Burton ran the wrong route against Arkansas and Dwan Maz threw an interception. That was a horrible start. To, I think we I think we would all agree we were all sitting there watching the first half of the Georgia-Arkansas game going, are you kidding me? I mean, do you realize Georgia trailed Arkansas at halftime last year? I mean, they trailed Tennessee at halftime too. At home. Are you kidding me? Um, anyway, getting back to that point here. Jermaine came around, and you saw him against Mississippi State when JT Daniels just lit it up. I think Jermaine had, what, 197 yards, right, in one game. Like more than half of his yards all year came on. Look, this guy's a flyer, and you guys know that, that Terrence Edwards uh, has been talking about him for a long time uh, on Dog Nation Daily or to anybody else that would listen. We had Terrence on this show. He's been telling us, and everything I'm hearing – is that this kid's tearing it up, tearing it up. Now, remember he had the scary, was it the hyperextended knee, I think? I think he could have gone in the spring. I think he could have gone back in, but Kirby is going to manage his roster. There was no need for that. Uh, he's not going to play the X because he's not an X type of receiver, but I think he's going to be that Z on the other side. I think he's going to, if I had to guess, I think he's going to lead the team in, in receptions this year. And that's not to say that other guys aren't going to have great years. They will. But I really like Jermaine Burton a lot. I think he's number two on my underrated list. I think number three is going to surprise you. And I'll probably get some arguments on this because it's not the name at cornerback that we all might have anticipated. Now, let me just say this about Keely Ringo, though. Keely Ringo had a torn labrum. And even though he had a torn labrum, Kirby tells us he was still, you know, at the front of every meeting, doing everything he possibly could. This spring, Keely was able to get on the field. He's working hard to get back. Um, and, and I do think he will be a star at Georgia. But the time that he missed, it's going to take time to catch up. There is a lot to playing cornerback at Georgia. It's not a, a plug-and-play position. Georgia's defense is complex. It's built to be able to adjust to multiple offenses. 
And, and again, it, it's the same. They run the same sort of coverages that Alabama does. Very similar. Clemson runs this package as well. A part of it, they don't do it as it's not as prevalent in their defense, but they have this component of their defense. That's why Darian Kendrick has been able to transition in. My third most underrated guy, and I'm, I'm probably going out on a limb here. Ready? Jalen Kimber. I think Jalen Kimber uh, is going to be a guy that kind of like Eric Stokes, you know, had to put on a little bit of weight, but I think this kid can fly. I think he's sticky. I think he's smooth. And, and I think Jalen Kimber is going to be a guy that Georgia fans are going to really feel good about. I, I, I think they're going to be excited. Now, I think Amir Speed is going to do well. And I think Darian Kendrick is going to do well. Darian is a former All-ACC, All-ACC guy. And Amir Speed has been in the program four years. This is Jalen Kimber's second year. And I expect him um, to be a really good corner. And he, nobody's going to come in and be Eric Stokes right out, of the bay, right out of the gate. Okay. But I'm saying he reminds me of that sort of kind of a spindly, long, flex, speed guy. Um, it's going to take him some time to work up to his game like Eric did. Obviously, this is only his second year. But I think Eric's second year, and I think of the Missouri game, and when Eric Stokes came in for Tyson Campbell, he was unbelievable. I remember him knocking down a, a, a would-be touchdown catch in the end zone. I think I remember him blocking a punt as well. Uh, I, we'll see what Jalen does in year two, but Jalen Kimber is number two, excuse me, number three, on my most uh, underrated list. Number four, uh, it's hard to say that Nakobe Dean is underrated when he's a five-star, but he's not showing up on these teams. It's like everybody got amnesia. Listen, Nakobe Dean, when he's healthy, is a terror. He's an absolute terror. The speed, sideline to sideline, the coverage ability, uh, the ability in his blitzes, this is a guy that runs the show. Kirby Smart tells us he's a leader and he proves it. He brings the Kobe out to speak to the media in the spring when he hasn't even practiced while he's injured. Can you think of another guy that Kirby's put behind the podium injured? But Nakobe, he will, because even though Nakobe was injured this spring, he was still leading the defense. He was still bringing the energy. He was still coaching up teammates. They always say you learn more about someone under adversity than when they're having success. And I agree. I think of JT Daniels last season. I think of JT sitting on the sideline, even though he thought he could play. And I don't know if you heard him talk in Birmingham. He said, your mind thinks you can play even though your body's not ready. Right? J that was what That's how JT encapsulated last year. In my mind, I thought I could play even though my body wasn't ready. Hopefully that answers the question once and for all. You know, JT does, you know, acknowledges his, his coach's decisions. Can you imagine how hard that was for JT? You, you travel all the way across the country to play at Georgia, and you're getting first-team reps, and your knee isn't ready a couple weeks before the opener. So they say, sorry, we can't chance it. We got to get, get Dwan and Stetson ready to rock and roll. Newman split. He's left camp. Um you're injured. You Got to get these two guys ready for it. Thank goodness Bennett did get the reps, and Stetson came in and saved the Arkansas game. Uh, I don't. I don't think they would have lost, but you never know. You got to give Stetson credit. Came in off, did a great job in that game.
But your JT, okay. And by the Tennessee game, though, you think you're ready. You take the knee brace off, and and co and now no, no, you just you can't play. You think you're ready, but you can't play. What's your attitude, right? What do you do? JT goes scout team, starts lighting up the first team defense. Eric Stokes told us he lit up the first team defense to the point that Kirby had to change how he did it in the red zone drills and started making the defense run because JT was beating him so much, right? If he scored a certain amount of times out of 13 plays, they were going to make the first team. That's how good JT was doing, and you're still not getting in. No, not ready. Not ready. Kirby is not going to take the chance. He's going to listen to Corson. JT, you want to play, but you're not going to play because Kirby Smart is not going to risk the knee. He's not going to do it until he knows 100% that you're ready to go. But you think you're ready to go. The way that JT responded to that, though, by being in Stetson's ear hole, being a good teammate on the sideline, uh, standing with the team on the sideline, he was always right there, always front and center, still going out doing this guy, didn't take the ball and go home, didn't pout, didn't get ugly, made friends, made friends. And so now that it's his time, the teammates look at him and go, man, that dude, he went through it last year. He stuck it. He went on the scout team instead of, you know, babying up and instead of sitting away from the team, he was right. He showed, he showed you how you're supposed to handle it when you're not playing. He showed you what it meant to be a great teammate. I think JT Daniels in that sense did more to earn the respect from his teammates than maybe if he would have played the first four or five games. Because of the way he handled adversity. He showed you that he was all in. He showed the coach that he was behind him and that he trusted him. And then when he got his opportunity, he was focused and he was ready. And Eric Zier said it. And, and I've told you guys this. You know, I, I, I don't like to call myself a fan of anyone or anything because fan, you know, in my world, you know. But Eric Zier, I'll just say, is a guy that I have immense respect for. I think Eric Zier is one of the most underrated players in SEC history. I think he's a tremendous color analyst for the Georgia Network. When Eric Zier speaks, man, I'm listening. I'm taking it to the bank, too, because I, I think he is spot on. And Eric Zier said, for JT Daniels to maintain that focus, that poise, when you're not playing, and then you get called upon – to start, you only got a week and a half to prepare with these guys. You've been playing with the scout team all year. You haven't been throwing to these guys on the first and second team. And he goes out there and throws for 400 yards with a week and a half of timing. Unbelievable. What a moment that was. JT Daniels' first start against Mississippi State. The first 400-yard game since Aaron Murray and a loss to Auburn, nonetheless. Was it 2013, I want to say? It's been a long time. But JT went out there and he did it. He still had to earn Kirby's respect because Kirby makes everybody earn his respect. That's part of what makes Kirby cool. He doesn't just kiss somebody's, you know what, just because they're this or they're that. No, 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 no. No, no. You got to earn it, JT Daniels. I know that you were the five star and I know you were USC and, and I know you're, but Kirby, even after that game, so oh, what do you think about this? Oh, well, Kirby said, we'll wait and see. We'll see. There was a couple of plays he wanted back. I said, golly, Kirby. That's pretty tough, man. The guy just threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. But that's Kirby. You go, that's Kirby. 
That is him, man. He ain't giving it up that easy. You got more work to do, JT. And then what happened, right? JT showed him as the year went on. He kept working to impress his head coach and impress his teammates, perform for Georgia. Now it's money time, right? Less than two minutes left. You're at your own 20-yard line, no timeouts, and you're trailing Cincinnati. Turned out to be a pretty good team. And, oh, by the way, you were missing five starters, Georgia, and you changed three offensive line position, and it showed because you couldn't run the ball. And JT had, you know, I think he had, what, he threw three touchdowns in that game? But anyway, you got less than two minutes left. It's money time. It's money time. And JT puts you in field goal position, and Pod comes through. So I think it was the best of all worlds. JT comes out and throws for 400 yards against – you had to have him because you weren't running the ball in that game either, all right? Then he plays a, a South Carolina team. It's a blowout. Kirby takes his foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. It's Bobo time. Look, Kirby is Kirby. And even though I have railed and said that's when you got to keep throwing it, Kirby Smart is going to do what it is in his heart and in his mind. And and I think 99.999 times Georgia fans are going to agree with what Kirby does. That's why he's the best coach for this job. Uh, so they didn't blow him out as much as they could have, right? And, and we got to see Dejon Edwards. Dejon got to get 13 carries and show you what he could do. And, and that's good because he needed that. I'm glad he stuck around. I think he's a really good back. And next year, I think he's going to make an impact. Uh, then you play at Missouri. Now, Missouri is calling it a measuring stick game. So everybody likes, oh, Eli Drinkwitz. He's so cool. He says all sorts of stuff. Well, he should have kept his mouth shut. Because when he said it was a measuring stick game, that was all Kirby and the dogs needed to fire it up. It was less than 30 degrees. It was colder than the coldest game Kirby played in. I looked it up because Kirby played in a really cold game. And I said, man, this game might be colder. It was. And there was JT again coming through. Very proficient. Uh, very blowout. Over after three quarters. So he's played in a lot of different sorts of games, cold weather, uh, you know, you know, Mississippi State almost all runs, all passes, South Carolina, so many runs, Missouri, inclement weather. Now you got Cincinnati. Now he's got to give you a come from behind victory, which he's done. I mean, I just check, check, check. JT's done it. So where are we at now? So now Kirby says, hey. It's not about JT. It's about everybody else. <clears throat> it's not about what JT Daniels can do in the smoking offense. It's about what everybody else can do. Kirby is comfortable with JT Daniels. He's confident to the point that Kirby mentioned JT Daniels potential to have the same kind of season that Joe Burrow and Mac Jones had. Wow. That's the head coach having some confidence. So you think about it. On the one hand, Kirby tells us about rat poison. On the other, he tells us that JT can have a burrow. And, and I say, all right, Kirby, I'm going to give you a pass on that. Because when a defensive coach, a defensive-oriented coach, has trust in his quarterback, great things can happen. I saw it happen at Michigan State. Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio was good practice for me to cover Kirby Smart. They're both former Saban DB coaches. They're both uh, former DBs in the SEC. And they were both extremely successful as defensive coordinators uh, and won national championships as defensive coordinators before being head coaches. Very similar. Very similar in many ways. 
Um, and when Mark D'Antonio gave all the trust to Connor Cook, Michigan State put up three straight big uh, top 10 seasons. Three straight. Beat Urban Meyer with Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas with a team of guys you probably couldn't even name anybody on that team at Ohio State. They did amazing things because he trusted his quarterback. Kirby's there. Kirby trusts his quarterback. And this is why it's important because a defensive-minded coach, and, and, and this was, again, speaking of practice, Gene Stallings, 1990s. Look, the quarterback's first job is don't get us beat. Don't get us beat. You know, a punt's not a bad thing. Set your defense up to make plays. Play field position football. We've seen a lot of that from Kirby. Turning JT loose, you're going to see some amazing things. So now we are at number five, most underrated. You thought I forgot my list. I, I did, kind of. But we're five, and it's JT. Because I do think JT Daniels is going to make a run at the Heisman Trophy if he stays healthy. I do. I think the numbers are going to be unbelievable. I think JT and Georgia is going to throw first to set up the run. I don't think the offensive line is necessarily good enough to dictate like they did when you had the Great Wall. And there were even times when the Great Wall struggled. But this this group here, there might be that potential, there might be that talent, but they're not nearly as seasoned. And they certainly don't have the continuity or the cohesiveness that Sam Pittman's units had. Matt Luke is building something. And you hope, if you're a Georgia fan, that by midseason – that these guys can dictate. But early on, it's going to be challenging, especially against Clemson. I want to take a look at some of your comments. I've seen them over there in the right-hand column. I've got a screen, and, man, they're they're flashing in there. Somebody's asking me, drinking out of a styrofoam cup. It's a paper cup. It's water, and when you talk for 53 minutes straight, it can get a little scratchy. So forgive me. I hope that's not rude, but uh, <clears throat> I don't like coughing. So if you all have some questions for me, ask away. I'm always entertained by your comments. I see Bryce, Drix, Bryce Dixon in here and JC and Tennille, the green soldier. Uh, I can drink what I want. Everybody knows I'm a green tea guy. Tonight it's water. Um, you know, look, I don't have time, you know, for some of that fun stuff. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't have the time. I don't know what the next phone call is going to be. I don't when new, don't know when news is going to break and I've got to be ready to deliver, man. That's what the 24 seven cycle, uh, has done in my career. And I'm not complaining. That's just the reality of my job. So I know everybody's like, what's in the cup. It's, it's water. It's green tea. Cause I, I just don't have time, uh, and can't afford to be off my game. You just can't. George is a huge beat. And there's all sorts of news. Uh, Chaz Pike wants to know when when Pickens will be back. I understand the question. The answer doesn't change. I don't know, and nobody knows. George is working hard. You know, this is a a, a torn ACL that occurred the end of uh, March. You know, in a best case scenario, he plays in November. I think that's eight months or less than eight months. I mean, that. That's awful fast. That's awful fast. And, and you know, you always have fast. It, it doesn't matter how hard he works at it. The human body can only go so fast. And we're talking about a player's career here. We're talking about risk factors here. There's a lot that goes in. Your knee could be healed, but you may not be ready to play, right? You might be cleared, 
but you might not be ready. That's kind of what happened with JT Daniels. He was cleared, but he wasn't ready. Jalen Waddell played for Alabama late. Wasn't the same guy. I, I, I hope for George's sake that he gets a couple games in, and he's healthy enough to, because I do think he's going pro after next year, and I do think it could help his draft value if he could show that he was ready. But if he's not ready, he doesn't need to be out there. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but the reality is, is nobody knows when he'll be back. Um, what we do know is that Kirby and Ron Corson, and we saw it with JT last year, they're not going to rush it. They're not going to put him out there till he's ready. They're not going to do it. They don't do that at Georgia. Am I going to start Friday night? Mike back. Andrew Scott wants to know. I've thought about it. You know, we're, we're, we've talked about it. I appreciate you asking me that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, Friday Night Mike was a show that we came up with. All of us did. You all suggested it. I did it off my back porch. We were all going through a really uh, hard, cold off season with the pandemic. And it was great. It was great for us to bond and talk Georgia football and, and you know, kind of talk about, you know, some of the challenges of life. You know, Friday Night Mike could be something else. I, I doubt it would be called Friday Night Mike, but it, it could there could be something to answer your question. There are some discussions. So thank you. Uh, and Frank, thank you for the compliment for that. It was fire. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to know the audience because that's what it was a lot of was a lot of a lot of give and take. And um, I know we, we should probably try to do more on, of that on this show, but I really have worked hard to get some interviews for you when we had Coach Pittman on or Coach Tucker or Coach Beamer, or Dick Vitale, or Paul Feinbaum, uh, you know, Cole Kubelik, Chris Doring, Jacob Hester. Uh, you know, we, we had the we had the the pitcher, uh, the Georgia pitcher on. We had Jack Bowerly, the Olympic swim coach. He's just done such a tremendous job. I'm working on another really special guest. I can't tell you about it now, but I'm hoping to get somebody else special on here pretty soon. So I've tried to turn Monday nights into interviews and different perspectives. I, I like giving my opinion. You know that. Uh, I give my opinion with Brandon Adams on Dog Nation Daily every Wednesday. I'm, I'm a phone-in guest for him. Uh, we do the cover fours on Thursday nights. Uh, I do radio appearances on 92.9 in Atlanta uh, every Monday morning at 8.20. I'm on The Ref in Athens every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, I'm on The Bill King Show in Nashville, Tennessee every Tuesday morning at 9.20. Uh, so I do make some appearances where I'll wax poetic and give opinions, but it, there's nothing like talking with you all in here and kind of going back and forth like we're doing right now. And I want to do a few more minutes because I've missed it. Um, and it's fun and it gives me ideas. And when I know what you're asking, that lets me know, well, what do I need to find out about? What do I need to report on? And, and, and my reports are my reports. If I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. Uh, what do we got? Jermaine King, Mike, your relationship with the players and their families has enhanced KM squared. Well, that's one of the areas that's important to me. And it's one of the areas of my job that I really enjoy. And it's why I became a sports writer. I like talking with athletes and I like learning about them and what, why, and how are they so dynamic? What makes Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton so special beyond the physical attributes? There's much more to both of those young men. And I hope you've been able to watch those programs on Sunday night. If you haven't, you can go to the Dog Nation YouTube channel and they're archived. 
Uh, this week's show it was fast and furious, 21 minutes. Um, you know, uh, what what assistant coach, if you were stranded on a deserted island, would you want to help you get off? Which assistant coach do you want to fight off a tiger, right? Which coach, which player do you not want to hit? What did they think about Oklahoma, Texas, and joining? What do they think about that? That was this week. Last week, we surprised them. Their dads came on the show, and it got heavy. It got heavy. It got emotional. I'm not going to lie. It, it, I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, Chris Milton's on there going, man, you're going to make us shed, shed a tear. And, and I don't know if you all have seen Chris Milton, but if you watch that show, <clears throat> holy cow, Chris Milton looks like he could play defensive line at Georgia or anywhere he wanted to play. What a beast. Um, so that, But that's been fun. So, Jermaine, I appreciate the compliment. Um, appreciate the, the compliment there. Uh, I enjoy getting to know the players and their families. Um, you know, they can't really talk to the players outside of media availabilities. But, you know, you hear from families every now and then they'll watch the shows and they'll decide who they talk to. They decide who they talk to. And, and I and I appreciate that. I like hearing from a few of them. And and, uh, you know, sometimes just, you know, they're they're venting or they're asking opinions. You know, listen, I, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not a college football head coach. Kirby Smart is the expert here. All right. Now, I can sit back like the rest of you play Monday morning quarterback. But there's a reason why Kirby's the head coach. And sometimes there's a method to his madness that I don't always understand. But I know there's a reason back there. I know there's always a reason. And I'm always searching to find it because nothing is just happenstance with Kirby Smart. I'm sorry. I missed the name of the person that asked me about Zamir White. And I'm glad that you gave me an opportunity to talk about Zamir White. Because this is tough. And this has happened to me before. All right. I um. Samir White is a great leader, and he's one of the most well-respected, motivational players on that football team. He's one of the kindest and, and nicest young men I've ever run across. I've had a chance to interview him a couple times after games. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a very kind, warm person that I like personally. I like this kid, you know, a lot. And what he did in high school was phenomenal. And the comeback that he's made and how hard he's had to work, he deserves, he deserves to start. He deserves greatness. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. But I don't know that I see greatness. I see a very good running back. Very good. Very good. At Georgia, you can be very good on a scale of 1 to 100. You can be a 92. But they got four guys in the 90s, maybe five. Zamir's knees have gotten better. He's had two knee surgeries. He's done everything he can do physically to get back. But the knees, to me, aren't the biggest issue. It's the vision. I don't know that he, I just don't see Zamir having the vision that I see with Kenny McIntosh or that I see with Kendall Milton. The vision, right? You you watch the game from above. It's not fair because we're looking at it from the eagle eye view. And we can go, oh, there's the hole. There's the hole. Well, when you're at ground level and you're a running back, (laughs) You don't see much. It's like being inside a race car, you know. Those guys can only see out the front. There's a lot of bars. And when you're a football player, 
your vision is so limited. But yet some of these guys, it's almost like they got eyes in the side of their head or they can feel the hole. You know, McIntosh got that cutback. You know, Kendall's got that that lean. Sometimes Zamir misses the hole. And, and maybe a lot of you are saying it's because he needs to get back. He needs to get his confidence, his cutting ability, a feel for the game. And you might be right. It might be that simple. And we might see magic. And, and I hope it happens because he is a heck of a guy, a wonderful kid, and it would be an unbelievable story. But I got to sit here and be honest with how I feel. And I could be wrong. Listen, I remember three years ago, a lot of Georgia fans were doggone mad at me because I said I didn't think Elijah Holofield was an NFL running back. They were upset. Now, Elijah has fought his way into the NFL. Special teams guy free agent signee, and he's made it. He's tough. He can catch the ball. He's strong. He'll do whatever you ask of him. He's a great locker room guy. But he wasn't DeAndre Swift. But he started ahead of him, didn't he? Because at Georgia, there's a lot that goes into being the starter. Now, I think that's what we're going to see this year. I think Zamir White, with his leadership, with his work ethic, I think he's your starter. But if you're asking me, who I would invest in, the two running backs are Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. Cook is explosive. Cook is dynamic on the perimeter. Cook is a phenomenal receiver. Cook does not like to run between the tackles. That's evident. He's not, he just doesn't. You can see it in James Cook, not comfortable between the tackles. Not that he can't. He's done it. He did it in G-Day. His brother was there. He wasn't going to let Delvin down. But that's not his thing. That's not his thing. He's a perimeter guy and a receiver, not as versatile as McIntosh. I think Kenny is the guy that plays behind James with a little bit more versatility. Don't know if he's as explosive on the perimeter, but Kenny showed me that he was as good a receiver. Money time, Cincinnati, game-winning drive, Kenny's on the field, three catches. Now, James was out that game. Remember, his father passed. But Kenny McIntosh delivered in the clutch. All right? That's valuable. JT knows he can trust him. Kirby knows he can trust him. Del McGee trusts all of them. Dell's got probably the hardest job on the team because they are loaded in the backfield. I was looking at the transfer list. You know, they've had like six wide receivers transfer out of here. Six. They, they had Cade Mays transfer off the offensive line. You know, everybody knows Justin Field. They had a couple other John Cedar transfer. They had quarterbacks transfer. They had a tight end transfer to Hawaii. Right? They had a defensive line, Jermaine Johnson. Transfer to Florida State. They had linebacker transfer away. They have nobody running backs are not leaving. They're not leaving, RB. We're not leaving. It'd be easy. If what if one of them left? You needed one of them. If just one of them leaves, but Dell's like, oh my gosh, how do you play all these guys? Especially in an offense that's going to be pass first this year. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, so to answer your question, my prediction for Zamir uh, is that he starts uh, the first half of the season. I think eventually Kendall Milton overtakes him. Um, I think Samir is going to have a, a productive year. I think he's going to average over six yards per carry. I think he's probably going to be between 700 and 900 yards. I think he'll score double-digit touchdowns. Because in the first half of the season, um, there's going to be a lot of space for the running backs to run. There are going to be a lot of six-man boxes because they're going to be able to play uh, that pro-style spread with the air raid principles, and they're going to spread teams out. And I think, I think that's going to help Zamir when he gets on the perimeter. Um, 
I think that's going to help a lot. But but when the box fills up, uh, I, I think Milton is a guy that runs with more power and explosion. Uh, I think Milton is your short yardage guy. I think uh, Kendall has improved his blocking. And then again, with Kenny, uh, you know, I think Kenny is a more versatile back than Cook. And, and Kenny's explosive too. Remember, Kenny was second in the nation in kick returns when he hurt his knee. Now, the question we have is the durability with all these guys. Cook missed a game injured. Kenny missed a game injured or two. Milton missed a game injured. Uh, Zamir soldiered through it. Zamir soldiered through it. There's something to be said for that. And, and again, Dejon Edwards, is he's, he's percolating. He's a talented guy. So that's kind of my pouring my heart out to you guys about the running backs. You know, the great thing about running back is it's, it's a very visible position, and we all watch the ball, so we all have strong opinions on it. Let me tell you, if you disagree with me, that's fine. I, you know, this is why we love football. We all see it a little bit differently, and I respect other people's opinions here. So uh, just if we don't agree, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, you're not right. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. You're not right. I mean, we're, let's just wait and see. None of us know for sure what these guys will do. I'll tell you this, though. They're all working hard. Uh, anybody that wins the job is going to be deserving. And I just, like I said, I feel bad for Del McGee because, boy, he's got a tough job. He has got a tough, tough job because there is so much talent in this backfield right now. Um, are any of them DeAndre Swift? That remains to be seen. DeAndre was special, right? When we talk about special, we talk about Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, and Swift. I think we would agree. I'm not ready for there to be a fifth yet. I'm not ready to say, I, I, I got to see more from Kendall Milton. I got to see more from Kenny. Got to see more from Cook. Got to see more from Zamir. Right now, nobody is in that same sentence. Nobody on this team is in the same sentence with Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, and Swift. Not yet. There will be somebody. Somebody will emerge. It will happen. When you have all this competition for playing time, this is what happened. The whole iron sharpens iron thing. These guys push each other, man. They push. And the cool thing is, and again, I, I know I keep harping on it, but if you haven't seen the Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton show, watch it. Because what's cool about it is you can see these guys like each other. They challenge each other, but they're friendly with each other. And they like each other. And they never try to make the other guy look bad. It is really cool to watch how Kenny and Kendall interact. One's from South Florida. One's from West Coast Fresno. Two different worlds. But when these guys are together, it's just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, questions. Any more questions? Yeah, okay, William Perry, uh, yeah, it was painful because Jake was not the leader we were told he was. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there, and I'm not going to get into a long tangent or a long explanation on this, but when your receiving core has six guys injured and you have a new offensive coordinator and your receivers are running the wrong routes and dropping passes, it's hard for a quarterback to look good. Um, when the call comes in late and it comes in so late that you're not able to audible and you have to run a play into a defender and one of your teammates, like Swift, goes, what the heck on TV? Jake couldn't audible. 
because the call came in too late. But he's not going to tell you that after the game, right? So I, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it at that. I just I I'm going to say don't grab at the low hanging fruit. Think deep, deeper. Uh, Adam Doby wants to know Amarius Mims starting game one. Boy, I don't know. That's a lot to ask of a freshman. He's a super phenomenal talent, and I've got confidence in Matt Luke. But based on recent history, I wouldn't think so. I, I would say Truss or Jamari. Just based on recent history. Now, again, Amarius Mims is a special guy, and he will ultimately be there. Okay? I think he's ultimately the dude. I think he's ultimately a first-round draft pick and maybe ultimately a top-five pick in the NFL draft. He's that special. That special. Hey, listen. It, it's gone late. It's almost 10 o'clock on a Monday night. It's a school night. School started in some places. <clears throat> Can't thank you guys enough for joining me tonight uh, in the comments. It really gets me going. It recharges me to know that there's so many passionate Georgia fans. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's the dog days of summer. Well, it, it's dog days every day of the year at Georgia. When you cover Georgia football, my friends say, well, you know, hey, it's the offseason. There's no offseason. There's no offseason. And I'm good. that's why I'm here. I want to cover a great program that's on the verge of doing something historic. And I really feel like George is there. I really feel like they're on the edge of something special. Need to get a break. Need to have a little bit of luck. It's part of the game. But Georgia and Kirby, they're right, they're right there, man. Tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, 10 15, 10 o'clock, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams every day. Every day, voice of the fan, Brandon Adams comes at you. Uh, Connor Riley is tomorrow night. Centel's Intel comes at you Wednesday night. Uh, we may have a cover for this week. I'm not sure. Hard to say. And then Friday, we're hearing there's an availability. So, you know, wherever you're at Friday, man, uh, and even in the weekend, remind yourself, check out Dog Nation. Make sure you've got the app. You better have that app by now because that thing's going to be buzzing with alerts on Friday. Because there's going to be some news. Kirby's going to drop some knowledge on us. Make sure you have the Dog Nation app. Things are about to get hot. Very hot. Remind yourself that Friday there's an availability. So you're going to see video of Kirby on our channel at dognation.com. You're going to see stories on Twitter. Twitter's another great place. I know a lot of you from Twitter because you send me direct messages and we can have conversations. So follow me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. But for tonight, I want to thank Ingalls once again for their sponsorship. I want to thank my producer, Michael Carvel. You know, doesn't get nearly enough credit, but he is the man behind the plan. And, uh, and again, I want to thank all of you because without you, I wouldn't be sitting here doing the show and enjoying it and, and be this passionate about it. Because you care, I care. That works really well for both of us. So everyone, have a great week. And uh, I'll see you later, man.